Dr. Shayla as our guest. Welcome back to Left of Normal, where everything that isn't right is left, and everything that is left is right. I'm your host, Scott Siri. Last week, we looked at handedness, and it seems that most of the lefties that follow the group and are on the page aren't on the spectrum, and most of those on the spectrum are right-handed. Of course, the sample size is just way too small to really draw any conclusions from that, because studies show that those who are left of normal are about twice as likely to be left-handed than the general population. Today, we have a special guest on our cast. Uh, guests come on about every fourth week, so if you have a great story, some brilliant insights, or just want to be on the show, send me a message or leave a comment, or maybe just swing by my house and scrawl a note on my garage door in the middle of the night preferably in red paint. I've known our, guests for, our guest for about a year, I think. Uh, we connected through a couple networking and entrepreneur groups. And one of the reasons I invited her to join me today was because of something she mentioned in biz to biz a few weeks ago. Uh, the fact that, and the fact that her profession has helped our whole family quite a bit lately. Uh, welcome to our guest, Dr. Shayla. Hi, it's good to be here. <laughs> So I'd like to start things off with a handful of questions okay. just about our interactions, uh, even limited as they have been. And then we'll get into some more about you and what you do and why you do it. Perfect. So tell us, do you remember the first time or one of the early times that we met and kind of what were your initial thoughts about me in regards to personality and uh, left of normalness? And then just a reminder, folks, I've encouraged my guests to be open and not worry about hurting my feelings because I don't actually have any. <laughs> Love that. So I, I don't probably remember the exact first time we met, but I'm, I'm certain it was in biz to biz. And I didn't have a lot of interaction with you in the very beginning, other than just like hearing your 60 second commercial and like that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I guess I just seemed, you just seemed kind of quiet and that was really about all I really witnessed until I got to hear you speak and share your story in biz to biz. And then I got to see like your creativity and the way that you, you know, had such a unique approach to something that everyone in the group is kind of doing one at a time. So we get to see everybody's um, unique attributes. And so you were very creative that day. You brought a strawberry and like <laughs> made, made it very interactive with, with our thoughts and stuff. But honestly, until you mentioned that ASD was something in your life, I really had no idea. And so I thought that that was really fascinating. And, and then you talked about your podcast. So I started listening to it a little bit because I was just really curious. And it's been really cool to just kind of get to hear some of your thoughts and some of the unique challenges that you face, but also how you deal with them. And um, yeah, so that's how it's been. All right. Um, how much experience do you have with people on the spectrum? Or kind of what are the biggest things you've learned either just in your studies or since listening to the podcast that makes you think, oh, okay, now that makes sense? Um, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with it, to be honest. I have had a few people in my life that um, have been somewhere on the spectrum. I've, I've dealt with it clinically. Um, I would say a very small portion of my clinical experience has been with it. I've had several patients that I've, that I've treated, but... For the most part, I don't think, um, I think it's just so misunderstood in a lot of ways that to me, it wasn't like, oh, that makes sense. You know, it was almost like, oh, I guess I maybe should <laughs> look to understand that a little more. If that, if that makes any sense at all. Like, I don't think yeah. it was ever like, 
oh, okay, you know, I never had this revelation or anything. I think for me it was more like, I think I want to understand that a little more. All right. Um, so it kind of leads into the next one. How does, yeah. how does understanding the left of normal community and the lifestyle or personality change the way you act and interact with people on the spectrum or just people in general? I do think it's changed people in general, how I, how I view them. Because I think normal is also a spectrum, <laughs> if that makes sense, right? Like, I don't think that there's these two separate spectrums. I think there's just, like, people, and we're all so different. And so for me, it's been almost more of a questioning of, like, why does there have to be this other category if we're all so different in so many ways? And so I think for me, that's kind of been how how it's changed my thought process. Um, obviously, in the clinical setting, depending on where someone is with like their sensory integration and stuff, it greatly changes how I can treat them and how I care for them because I have to be very mindful of what's going to work best and how they're going to best receive the care that I deliver. But I think as a general rule, it's actually made me question other people <laughs> rather than the ASD spectrum, if that makes <laughs> sense, which is kind of mm -hmm. fascinating to me. So I think it's episode one and two talk about how it's not like an autism spectrum, it's a spectrum of all people. Yes. And normals can, what we consider normals right in the middle. Somewhere, And there's yeah. some weirdos that are on the right and weirdos that are on the left. <clears throat> yes. And it's just how far away from the middle do you get Yes. you start standing out more in different yes. situations. Yeah, I love that. I wish more um, people understood that. That's kind of one of the goals of this podcast, just mm -hmm. to people know about it. They're, we don't need autism awareness. We need autism acceptance. Sure. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about who you are, how you got to where you are today. Uh, you recently shared a story on why you got started as a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. And if you'd share kind of a shortened version or just as sure. much as you're comfortable sharing yeah. with that. Yeah. So I, um, I really got interested in chiropractic as I was working as an athletic trainer in North Dakota and saw that chiropractic was helping my athletes in a capacity that I wasn't previously aware of. They, um, they were healing better from concussions if they were seeing a chiropractor and they were performing at higher levels or getting injured less often. And I was really curious about it. So I started really studying the neurology of what chiropractic was to try and figure out, um, what it, yeah, how it could help people. And in the process, I decided to become a chiropractor because it, it really um, grabbed my attention and I just couldn't ignore it. And I knew that I could help people with it. But then as I started studying it more, I actually was able to get help with my anxiety and depression from chiropractic care. And that literally gave me my life back. <laughs> and so um, it's just been this really cool journey of understanding the human body and how the neurology of our, of our body it impacts every single aspect of our health and um so yeah now that's what i do for a living so now i have a chiropractic office here in billings 100 percent chiropractic is over by um, shields on the west end and we just basically help people all day long to to live their life at 100 percent can you tell us how chiropractic care makes somebody heal faster and then that's kind of more the physical side of it but then can you to also explain how anxiety and depression and mental illness can benefit from adjusting bones in your body. Yeah, so it all comes down to the nervous system and the neurology of this brain-body connection. Because our brain's purpose is to 
control our body. Our body's purpose is to experience the environment and relay that information back to the brain so that the brain can make appropriate changes to what, what the body needs to stay alive, essentially. And so anytime there is misalignments in the spine, we are compromising that brain-body circuit, and we can see dysfunctions all over, whether it be movement, whether it be function of the organs, whether it be actual integration of what the body decides, or rather the brain decides to do with the body. And um, so so physically, obviously, it's going to help a, a like a injury heal better just because the brain and the body are in better communication the healing process happens more efficiently and quick more quickly um, but with things like anxiety and depression you actually have altered communication happening between the brain and the body so for example like a panic attack a lot of people will describe them as like this feeling of like i'm gonna die i can't breathe weights pressing on my chest like that kind of thing and ultimately what that is is the brain is not properly understanding what environment that person is in, especially if they're having this in a completely safe environment. Obviously, we want that response if we're in a life or death situation, but when we're you know, sitting at home in a calm space and we can see that we're safe, but we still are feeling this anxiety, that's an inappropriate sensory integration, essentially. And so by restoring that brain-body connection, you actually allow the body to communicate the way that it's supposed to. It has appropriate responses to its environment. And that actually is kind of how it helps with things like ASD, because oftentimes there is a sensory integration miscommunication happening, and that when you're restoring that full communication by making sure the spine is in alignment and there's no pressure on the nerves and each part of the body is able to connect to the brain the way it's supposed to, now we actually get more appropriate responses to the actual environment that's in front of us, rather than feeling like we're going to die when we're in a safe environment. Yeah. And so that kind of panic attack, let's say I'm just sitting in the living room and all of a sudden heart rate goes up, palms yeah. get sweaty, mm -hmm. I get fidgety, nervous. Mm -hmm. Is it my brain misreading or is my body reacting <clears throat> to something that my brain doesn't recognize or is my brain seeing something and telling my body to react, but my body doesn't, but somebody doesn't know what's going on? Right. Yeah. It could be either or both, um, depending on where the miscommunications are happening. Um, it could be, you know, the brain is, you know, humming right along, doing everything it's supposed to. The body is inappropriately sensing that there's danger. So it's sending danger messages to the brain, even though there isn't danger present. Or it could be the body is just calmly experiencing the environment. But when it's telling that to the brain, the brain's getting a miscommunicated panic signal. It could be either way, because it it's all a circuit. Like a, we actually, in chiropractic, we use the, um, the visual of a safety pin. And that a closed safety pin is a healthy, complete circuit. But sometimes when there's misalignments in the spine and it's putting pressure on a nerve, or maybe there's a chemical present in our environment that's interrupting how the nervous system is and is functioning, that opens the safety pin. And now the circuit is not full and complete. But it's hard to know which part of the circuit is open <laughs> sometimes. It can, sometimes it's more than one place, too, which makes it a more complicated treatment scenario. But uh, for the most part, the goal is let's get that safety pin closed so that you have this full brain-body circuit again. All right. Um, do you have any stories of patients you've seen or even your own that you've seen? Because pharmaceutical medication is trending towards poison, uh, the <laughs> belief in it. Uh, it does work. It does have its place. But for the most part, it's just put some pills on it and hope the situation goes away. Sure. Do you have any stories of how somebody was almost addicted to pain pills or any pills and through a healing, a holistic healing like chiropractic care, 
that they were able to get rid of those pills and live life normally without worrying about pumping medicines yeah. into their body. I have a lot of stories of that. <laughs> um, I get to see it almost daily. I also experienced it very much my, in myself um, with, with antidepressants and psychoactive medications. Um, before I say this, I do want to say I am not anti-medicine, but I am anti-medicine as the first resort before other things have been explored. Um, one of my favorite memes that I have seen lately, you've probably seen it because it's circulated several times, is like if you go to the doctor and they don't ask you about your diet and your sleep and your hydration and your exercise and all of these things first before prescribing you medication. You don't have a doctor, you have a drug dealer. And I very much agree with that statement. I think there's a lot of other things we need to look at before we're piling on meds. And then also when these meds are causing crazy side effects, piling more and more on to, you know, battle the side effects, that's where we get into the danger zone. Where we're, Are we really helping this person the way that we think we are? And I truly believe that most medical doctors are doing this with good intention. It's just that you have to understand a medical doctor's tool to help people is medicine, right? So um, so I just kind of like to give that, that caveat because I'm not an anti-medicine person, but in my life, when I was first prescribed medication, I was 14 years old and it was for panic attacks and it was horrendous. It, 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 it made my anxiety worse. It made my body very sick. And so then the doctor tried something new. That one didn't work either. The next one didn't work. The next one didn't work. Between the ages of 14 and 25, I was on 17 different psychoactive medications um so bad that like one christmas i remember i came home from college and my undergraduate was in bismarck so i drove from bismarck to mile city and i forgot my medication at home and it was christmas time so i couldn't get a refill at the pharmacy in a small town right christmas time everything's closed i went through full-blown withdrawals that christmas in front of my family and it was one of the most humiliating but also um, terrifying things that I've ever gone through. It gave me a whole new respect for addiction because I would have done anything to get my hands on some medication just to get myself back to like an equilibrium, right? But um, it was terrifying. And then uh, when I finally decided to come off of medication, I had to do that again and, and, and wean myself off and go through full-blown withdrawal. And it was awful. And I don't, I think it would have been more understandable if I had gotten the benefits I had been promised from those medications, but I never did. I, I always just had all the side effects and still had the anxiety and depression, if not worse than when I started. So, so yeah, for me, I've, I've definitely experienced it. Another one of my favorite examples of this has happened multiple times in my practice where I have people come in on blood pressure medication. Blood pressure is regulated by a part of our brainstem that's actually really close to the top of the neck at the base of the head. And in many cases, I'll work with these patients where I'm adjusting that region. They actually start to get lightheaded because they are now over medicated mm -hmm. now that their body's better regulating its own blood pressure. And then they're able to come, you know, and I always tell them, I need you to go to the doctor that has prescribed this med and actually take a look at what's going on now because I think you're now getting too much medication. You may not need as much or maybe you don't need it at all. And so that one's another really cool one because that one happens pretty commonly. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've always um, loved helping people just to get their body function back. And when you do that, coincidentally, you need mm -hmm. less medication. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to a PA recently, just mm -hmm. outside of a clinical setting. I didn't mm -hmm. even know he was a PA when I first met him. And he said they have about 20 minutes per patient. And he yeah. said they want to get into the diet, they exercise the lifestyle choices, but they have the system is not set up to actually help people. It's to move them through the system as fast sure. as possible. Yeah, because well, at the end of the day, it's still a business, you know? Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate. Uh, so tell me a little bit about kind of how chiropractic care can help with autism spectrum and how 
the articles that I've read on it were all over the place. One sure. was very anti and says it's going to cause more problems than it helps. The other one was like, it's there's no solid scientific evidence that it does help, but it's not going to actually hurt you. Sure. So kind of tell me your experience and what you've read and what you've seen with it. Yeah, so one of the challenges with research in this particular area is, <clears throat> number one, ASD is, there's so many variables present, right? So it's really hard to narrow down, um, you know, even to create a sample group that's all similar, which is very, very challenging um, because so many people experience it in so many different ways. Um, also, you know, in medicine, the, the typical gold standard is going to be like a, a double blind randomized control study. And it's very hard to do that in chiropractic because people know whether they've been adjusted or not. You can't have a placebo group, There's, you know, which makes it really hard to have a control and all these things. So the type of research that's really most readily available on this specific topic is going to be case studies, which is actually doctors like in my position that have treated and cared for somebody with ASD and then been able to report, this is how they presented, this is what we did, this was what the results. And a standalone study like that doesn't hold a lot of weight because it's only one person, it's only one form of treatment. Maybe that person got great results, but that doesn't necessarily mean that every person that tries that is going to get the same result, right? So what's really cool is right now, there's a group called the ICPA, which is the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association, and their heart is really to... Um, explore just how chiropractic helps families stay healthy as a general whole. Um, but there is like this particular sector of that group that's very, very into understanding ASD and how chiropractic can help. And so they are basically collecting as many case studies as they can because one by itself doesn't hold a lot of weight, but a bunch of them together do. And so, I mean, I took five minutes before I was on my way over here to, to look up and see if I could find one of those studies, right? Right away, the first thing that popped up, improvement in behavior, anxiety, and pain following chiropractic care in a nine-year-old boy with Asperger's syndrome. Um, and then it's just a case report and a, and a review of literature is involved with that, which is super cool because they'll basically talk about other cases that they found that were similar to this one and they'll put it all together for you. Um, and that literally took me, like I said, three to five minutes to find that one study. And that's just on the ICPA's website. They actually have a whole bunch of different, it's not just for ASD, but it's a whole bunch of different stuff. So you kind of have to sift through it, but um, it is, it's hard to, it's hard to show it. But like, even in my personal experience, it's so, it's so obvious when you're working with an individual, um, their demeanor and how they change even throughout the adjustment itself. Um, I've worked with, um, Mostly children um, under the age of five with ASD has been my clinical experience so far. I've had one patient that was older than that, but the, the rest of them were all younger. And um, the challenge, the challenge is earning trust and making sure that they feel safe in the environment because there's a lot going on, a lot of sounds involved with chiropractic that have never been heard before in most cases, and um, just like developing trust. And as you get that, you can see. Um, it's, it's actually really fun to work with it because the nervous system, I feel like, is almost so raw in these patients that you see the benefit or, or um, the change very obviously through the, you know, like the average person, you adjust them and they may tell you, I feel better, I can move better, they may stand up taller and you're going to see certain things, but I feel like when you're working with ASD, you see, you see so much more of that on the surface, just like 
peace within their system and, and certain maybe self-soothing things are happening. They're calming down because their nervous system is now regulating and, and balancing out and they're not feeling so overwhelmed just to be in that space. And so that part's been really fun. It's right. Probably read a couple of those same ones that you just mentioned, mm -hmm. and I was trying to put it into something that somebody could easily understand. And the only thing I could come up with is a lot of sensory stuff with autism, mm -hmm. where even just like rubbing the back of the hand or brushing against mm -hmm. the face, and let's say your nervous system is pinched, and so you touch and you don't feel anything. And so mm -hmm. the brushing and the rubbing gets more and more obsessive, but then when you straighten all that out, everything's flowing. Now all of a sudden, oh, I'm touching and it, immediate relief mm -hmm. rather than you have to touch 15 times to, oh, okay, yeah, it is working. Yeah. Now it's one time and it's like, oh, there we go. There's that sensory back, mm -hmm. ground yourself back to normal, back mm -hmm. to, back to your baseline. And so those kind of obsessive movements that kind of come with further left on the autism spectrum, the swaying, sure. and tapping, the stimming yeah. can be reduced because they work faster mm -hmm. when the communication goes faster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Oh, is there anything else we should know about life, the universe, everything? <laughs> oh, man, that's such a broad question. Um, <clears throat> I think that, um, man, I don't know. Something that I've been learning a lot lately is just to have more compassion for people as a whole, you know, kind of like we were talking about at the beginning, like, and you were explaining this this line of spectrum of people as a general rule, like you never know where people are with that stuff. And, um, you know, when you're getting certain responses out of people, is it, I don't know, like, here's a good example. The other day we had a patient come into my office and she was very, very abrasive, very mean, like almost rude from the first word that came out of her mouth. And my staff almost was just like, what do we do? You know, how do we handle this? And, my first thought was, well, if she can't be respectful, I'll probably just have to ask her to leave, you know, because holy cow, um, we're here to help, you know, and we don't need to be treated that way. But then, you know, the more I got to talking with her, the more I realized like she was being abrasive because her pain was so high. She could literally barely be like in the clothing she was wearing, you know, she was hurting so badly. And so I just kind of, you know, tried to meet her where she was at with that. And by the end of it, she was smiling and laughing and like a lot more comfortable than she was before she came in. She was a completely different person. That was a really obvious physical um, example, but like so many people, <clears throat> excuse me, are experiencing that in a way that isn't quite as easy to understand. And we still need to have the same compassion for them. You know, just because mm -hmm. their leg isn't broken doesn't mean that they're not suffering in some way that we need to be compassionate for. And I just think that if we treated everyone as if they were fighting some kind of battle behind their smile, that I think our whole world would look a lot different. Good advice. <laughs> I did see something recently about on the spectrum. When people are overstimulated, usually they'll kind of retreat or they'll go into their stimming or they'll yeah. just separate themselves. Mm -hmm. But it said anger is just as much of a reaction to overstimulation yes. as retreat is. And so when somebody yes. on the spectrum gets really angry, it's probably because something's overstimulating them. Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, you've had a peek into the world where everything left is right. And if it feels right, then it must be left. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, join the Facebook community, and interact there. Uh, anyone can post about their questions and experiences. 
Uh, remember that many left of normals have sensory issues that are compounded when the body isn't functioning optimally, optimally, and something like chiropractic adjustments may be what's needed to minimize those overwhelming issues. And of course, share this with your friends, whether they're left, normies, or right.